You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the School of Reinvention podcast. I am your host, Roger Osorio. I'm a reinvention coach and author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passions, and Purpose. I'm excited to be here with Marcos Bulacio, who is the co-founder and CEO of Pangea, a company that leverages data science and AI to identify high-demand outdoor products on e-commerce sites and replace them with unique, sustainable, and carbon-negative alternatives. At his core, he is a passionate entrepreneur on a mission to clean the planet and oceans through innovative circular economy models that turn trash from nature into high-quality products. He started his first e-commerce business when he was 15 years old and spent several years helping manage the family business, which is a nursing home, and even helped it grow 100% year over year, taking it from a six-figure business to a seven-figure business. He is also the creator of four six-figure Kickstarter campaigns, which include the most funded travel towel, which I believe was twice, the most sustainable rain jacket, and the world's first regenerative sunglasses made with recycled plastic from a mangrove forest. Marcos and I actually met at Startup Weekend in Boston back in 2017. And for those of you who are not familiar with Startup Weekend, it is a three-day boot camp where people come in to learn how to take a raw business idea from concept to creation. We put them through a, a series of steps and processes so that they can go out, interview customers, and really validate that the idea they're bringing to life is actually needed, and then actually challenge them to design the idea and evolve the idea with the feedback from customers. And so Marcos was part of that weekend experience and part of this conversation, he's going to tell us a little bit more about that experience, but this is where he and I got to connect and gosh, six years later, Marcos, here we are reconnecting again, except we're not in Boston this time. I'm in New Jersey and you're in Bali. So we are definitely as far away as we can be right now, <laughs> but uh, you know, I appreciate your time and uh, you're um, agreeing to, you know, share a little bit about your story, teach us a little bit from your journey to reinvention for, so that our listeners can begin to apply some of those skills and lessons. So kick us off. Tell us a little bit about your overall journey to reinvention. You know, you've I've already alluded to a few stops you've had in your bio, but let's talk about a few specific stories and help us understand who you are. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks so much for inviting me, Roger. It's a pleasure to connect with you again after so many years. So yeah, starting when I was in, in high school, I was really passionate about music. I was thinking in music. I was at class thinking in music, creating music in my head all the time composing songs. And I was really passionate about technology as well. I remember when the first iPhone came out, for me, it was revolutionary. I, it was such a, you know, such a incredible event. And, you know, one day I remember surfing the web, I start seeing these smartphones in China, they look quite all right. They're like, you know, like some sort of like copycats from, from iPhone and whatever. And out of curiosity, I, I, I'm like, okay, th this looks really cool. I mean, I, I would like to get one. So I go to Mercado Libre, which is like the Argentinian Amazon, and I see that similar phones that are not as good as those that I've seen in China, in the websites in China, they were selling at three times the price, right? So I'm 15 years old. I'm looking at that. I do the math. I'm like, 
okay, you know, where's the catch, right? I mean, I, I can just buy these cell phones from China, ship them here, sell them in Mercado Libre and make whatever, 150 euros each. So I would say that my journey of reinvention started when I realized that I could generate money through the internet, right? That, you know, this computer that I had in my, in my bedroom was not only for fun and playing games, but, but also actually to, you know, to research stuff and actually make money. So that was the beginning of my, my first little business. I asked my father for his credit card. I tested with one. I sold it after three days. So then I kept doing that a few times in a row until I got my first $1,000. And then I used that money to create my first music room. And I taught a few friends how to play different instruments. And, and I started this, this band. It was a, my high school band powered by e-commerce. So yeah, that was the first journey. I love that. I love that story right there. You know, there's there's a lot right there to unpack as well for anyone at any stage along their journey. I love that you did it at 15. And that's when you can honestly say that that's when your journey to reinvent has started. And that moment you shared about when you realized that, you know, the internet, your computer, like you can do more with this and just play video games that you can actually turn this into a tool that can maybe one day help you earn a living. But more immediately, it sounds like you saw it as a tool that could help you start building a life aligned with your values, your passions, and your purpose. You know, you took an opportunity, you saw this gap where you're like, hey, look, there's a product here I can get in China better than the one that's sold locally. There's an amount that I can make, you know, off of this. Let me try that out. And I love how the first profits were spent on building a music room so that you can have your band. So in the yeah. end, you took these two passions and interests and you brought them together to simply power themselves so that... One starts as a business now. It's not just tech interest. Now it's like, hey, I sell tech products. That's fun. Two, music was my other passion. And now I get to do this and pursue it with my friends at a higher level and all of that. And super empowering story. So how far did you take that, that e-commerce business? Yeah, so then I started selling iPhones. So then I bought an iPhone with some of the money as well. And I scaled up <laughs> and got an iPhone. And I remember I spent like a whole week trying to unlock it because it was, not, it, was, it was not working for Argentina yet, right? So it was probably one of the first people in Buenos Aires that got one. I was definitely the first kid in school that had one. And I remember after unlocking it, I was you know, showing it to everyone. And there was this, you know, this swarm, this group of, of kids, everyone looking at the iPhone, just fascinated. So then I started selling them. Uh, I sold a couple of those. And yeah, so I, I just took it to a few thousand dollars. At that moment, my focus, more, my focus was more on, on music. So yeah, I, I, got, I got the objective that, that I wanted. Oh, I remember now, actually. Then I, I got scammed by someone that uh, scammed me uh, with, with the iPhone purchase. And then it just became complicated. I was in the middle of high school. I was like, eh, I'm not going to continue this for now. That's interesting right there because I think that sometimes we get into these activities like, oh, I think I just stumbled upon a business. And then it feels like, well, now I'm all in. I have to keep going. And I love how you decided, you know, it's interesting, but not that interesting. It's fun, but there's a little bit of stress here that I don't really want to deal with. And if I'm not interested, I don't have to pursue this. It's not that it failed. It's not that it didn't work because it did. And you were still able to say, this is not what I really want to do. What I want is my objective to build the band, to create the music room, to be able to do my stuff in music. And that's an important distinction because sometimes we will get into projects or get into activities, or sometimes we'll stumble or fall into a really interesting opportunity and we'll feel that we owe something to it and we must stay on that path. Otherwise, it's failure and nobody wants to quit. Nobody wants to fail. And at least that's, you know, what we're 
primed to think that we're supposed to do that. And then we don't end up doing something we really enjoy that much when we had the opportunity to. And so I just wanted to lift that lesson up because I think that is incredibly powerful and empowering for anyone listening who might realize now that they are doing something that's just not quite right for them. And it was right for a little while, but it's, it's expired. The, the, the fun of it, the passion of it, the interest in it has expired and it's time to move on and it is okay. You can now go do something else. So tell us a little bit about what happens next. I remember, uh, you know, you talked about you worked in the family business for a little while. Where does that fit into your journey? Yeah, that's a good question. So then I finished high school. I was really passionate about sociology in that moment and philosophy. So I started studying sociology. I went to sociology school and I was really interested about social systems and society in general. And when I was 20, my, my father got a heart attack. He didn't pass away. Likely he's, he's still alive and he's fine. But doctors told him that he really needed to like take it easy and reduce the amount of work and the amount of stress. So that also made me, you know, that sparked the desire of wanting to help him with the family business. He's a, he's a psychiatrist, but he was just like a, like a, a master's on healthcare businesses management. So he has this really good, you know, high quality nursing home. And, and I feel intrigued to, to go and, and help him out. So I start managing the family business. I mean, first I come in as, a, as an admin assistant, and then I start to get really passionate about business systems. You know, I was really passionate about social systems. And then I started theorizing how can I, how can I systemize now the, you know, the, the healthcare business in a way that it provides much more value to everyone, starting with the employees. What I saw when I, when I started working there is that there was a lot of potential, but there was a lot of chaos and there was a lot of, you know, a really bad working environment. I felt like people are not really like taken care of properly and, and there were many things to fix. So that was the second, the second journey of reinvention. Then I moved on into, you know, and, um, the role of HR manager built a few things there. I created a really interesting model. I remember it was created a model to understand the business and I created an organizational structure based on the molecular geometry of a dendrimer. So at that moment, I was also like quite intrigued about chemistry as well. And I realized, so I, I was looking at the, at the geometry of a dendrimer, which has like a, like a core that is surrounded by functional groups, like a very symmetric geometry. And so I realized in essence, businesses or, or, or everything is kind of like, like a molecule, right? It's just a group of atoms, a group of people that are working together in different functional groups, different departments, different areas, and they need to function as a unit, right? In order to, to be very efficient. So anyways, I can, I can deep dive into that, but it's too nerdy. No, no, but I, but I love it. I saw this on your LinkedIn and I thought, what the heck did this have to do with it? <laughs> you know, I was like, I got to hear this story, but I love it. I can appreciate this now. You, you yeah, saw a connection from one yeah. field into yeah. another. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really, you know, in, in essence, and that's also actually the, the, the meaning behind the name of Pangea, but I started really realizing the, the interconnectedness of everything. So I started developing this theory as well. It's a bit more personal, but how, although in, in appearance, we're all disconnected uh, and we seem separated to each other, we're actually all part of one same collective being, right? 
And if we look at, at the Earth from the moon, there is no distinction between you and me. It's just one collective being, which is planet Earth, right? That, you know, applied to, to business made me realize this is just one one whole being that is disconnected. And I just need to connect it and, and put the pieces together so that it works in a very organized way and in a very harmonious way with, with one another. So just building those teams, building the processes, building the right... I, call, I remember in that moment I was calling it the molecular formula, right? Which would be like, like the team, right? Just like the combination of atoms would be the combination of, of roles that are necessary in order to, to have that, that structure work in a very organized way. That's really interesting. And, and I love how it eventually connected into what you were doing today. And so I just want to unpack a few things here that you said about the story. You know, you, you, you talked about when, you know, your, your dad unfortunately had a heart attack and, you know, needed help. And fortunately, you know, he, he was okay and he's still here. But that moment, um, what I'm hearing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like your, your values were such that when something like that happens to, a, to an important family member, you felt a, maybe it's a responsibility based on your values, that is, to step up and do something to help that family member. And I feel like if that, and you're nodding your head, so I think I'm onto something. So, and that drove you to say, let me get involved and help out a little bit. And it started with a very small little bit, right? You mentioned you started as an admin assistant. Yeah. But that involvement then helped you discover something about yourself, an interest in mm. business systems. You started mm. to see, whoa, there's something really fascinating here. I used to think about other types of systems, but now I'm, or social systems. Now I'm starting to, like, there's also business systems. And that drove you to get to the point where now you can explore something that you didn't know you were interested in or you could be interested in until you got into that, which, of course, you know, took you further down the path in terms of eventually helping to manage the business, grow the business, and eventually getting to this point where you started to develop your own theory of how things could work, of a model, if you will, for how you could start to move in the direction of building a world that, you know, that, that you believe this could be. And of course, that's what you're doing now with Pangea. So what I want to take away from that story for people listening is that, you know, the, a lot of times I think that we, we believe that people's paths are perfectly designed and strategically intended all the way through from beginning to end. Like, obviously, that was a great plan. This person knew what they were doing from minute one. You know, I don't know if I don't know if you ever encountered this, Marcos, but yeah, I'm 42 true. and they used to ask us all the time, what's your five year plan? Like in your first job, you're like one year out of university and they're like, what's your five year plan? And if you couldn't answer that question, well, that would impact your ability to move up in the organization because they're like, well, this person has no idea like, you know, what's next and what comes after this and what comes after that. And maybe they're not the right person. So there was so much pressure to be able to answer that question. And in your story. You know, one of the things that I think we can all learn is that how things unfold and end up in this incredible place where you are right now, and you're, you're going to tell us more about Pangea and where it is as a business right now, sometimes happens in completely different ways that you could never plan. And I think that's the key here. And, and simply by acting on your values, you were granted the opportunity to be in front of a new interest, a new passion. And you took the action at that point to do something about it. You didn't just say, wow, that's interesting and continue doing your work and ignored it. No, you took action. You said, let me learn more. Let me dig myself more into this. And I think that is super empowering for anybody on the journey who's worried about what's the next right decision. 
What's the perfect decision that I can make to craft my career perfectly? And it's like, you know what? It might be just responding to your values. Maybe something has appeared in life that requires your attention based on your values, of course. Maybe that's it. Comment a little bit more on that. I'm just wondering what your reflections are on that now that you have, of course, hindsight. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, you know, it was a great opportunity. And I was also really, really grateful about my father trusting me and giving me a space to grow in the company and then, you know, scaling to becoming the general manager and, and basically taking over the whole business. And he also pushed me to switch and study business, but in a, in a, in a very nurturing way. He said, yeah, if you want to take more responsibility, if you want to drive the, the, the company, which I'm happy to, you know, to let you do, you need to learn more, gain more knowledge, more theory and apply the theory into the practice. So yeah, that also, you know, another layer of reinvention was then switching to studying business at night. So I was managing the business during the day and then studying business, you know, finance, project management and all the, all the key necessary parts, adding all those tools into a toolbox that, that gave me, you know, all that early on understanding of how, how business operates as well. Looking in hindsight, I think it was a great opportunity and, and that's also something that that I've been applying throughout my whole life, which is the concept of alchemy. It's realizing that whenever there's an apparent negative situation, there's usually something positive behind it. And, and whenever something negative happens, then I, I, I usually think, okay, what's the positive side of this? How can I turn this apparently negative situation into gold, right? And, and that was, I think, one of the first examples of, of that. Well, first of all, I mean, that right there is a, a, a nugget of gold in terms of just insight. You know, that's a and it's super practical. It's super we can practice this right now. You know, when something negative happens, there's always something positive on the other side. So the question then is it's on, it's on us to ask the question and look for the positive. But know that there must be a positive attached to that negative. I love that. Yeah. I think that's incredibly yeah. actionable and it's something that we can use almost any day, any moment. And I talk a lot about how powerful questions are and just, you know, when mm. you have the right questions, you will get better answers. So better questions drive mm-hmm. better answers. And you've got a powerful question here that we can ask at any point in time, any day, <laughs> you know, I could do some, something negative could happen right now. And I could say, okay, that's cool. What's the positive in this? And let's start moving towards that. The other thing, you know, you, you shared about this, the, the education component, which I think is interesting. And you mentioned that you, by day, you're working in the business. By night, you're learning some of these skills that you did not have yet. So there were a skills gap. And I guess I just want you to comment on this. And I, I didn't even think about this part of it. But you learned, of course, while you were doing. And a lot yeah. of times, young people come to me and ask me about the decision to go for their MBA or to go for an advanced degree. Now, my question is always this. When someone asks me that, I always ask, you know, what's the outcome that that will drive because an MBA or any degree is a means to an end, unless you purely just want to do it for the sake of the study and you have the time and the funding to spare to do that as your activity. And that's your fun thing. That's different. But in that case, that should be it. And that's, you know, what your goal is, but in the case that it's not in your mind, it's, it's meant as a means to an end. What is the end? And what I often get is there's not a lot of clarity about the end. And so then I always ask the question because I'm like, look, I'm not here to tell you if the MBA is right or wrong. I don't know the answer to that. It totally depends on what you want on the other end of it. And so if you don't have clarity, 
then how do we know these are the right skills to learn? I, you know, you went through an interesting experience that I think a lot of people would be scared to do. Um, well, not scared, but I think we would be worried that it wouldn't be good enough, which is to learn as you're going. And now you did it out of necessity because you didn't know that that was going to happen. Obviously, you didn't plan any of this. It just happened. And then you had to learn as you go. But as someone who learned as they went, can you comment a little bit on how that felt as you were going through it in terms of you being able to learn maybe quickly enough or enough to be able to do what you needed to do by day? How did that experience go learning by learning while doing the thing? I think it was quite, quite fun. I remember I was full of enthusiasm. I just saw opportunity. So I also saw the great opportunity of the business as well. The nursing home is, is a really good, really good business model. And, and it's also really, really, it's a really nice thing, you know, to help the families and help, help the, the old people in need. And, and what I loved about, you know, going and studying is that I was getting all these tools that I could apply directly, you know, the next day I would learn something new and uh, then apply it into the business and then, and then see, the, see the impact, see the positive effect. So, yeah, it was honestly for me really, uh, it was just full of enthusiasm. I remember especially project management. When, when, I, when I came across project management, for me, that was like a wow moment as well because I realized, wait, so uh, through project management, I can, I can plan anything that I have in my head and then actually make it happen. I was like, wow, that's insane. So that means that whatever I want to do, there's a, there's a sequence, there's a, there's a, you know, like a, a methodology that I can, I can apply and then I can go from idea to, to reality, from idea to result. And so that was actually super empowering as well. Yeah, and I, I apply that to, you know, then renovate the whole building, create a new bigger office space and doing a bunch of, of beautiful things that started adding a lot of value to the service as well and which allowed us to, to grow and, you know, become one of the best nursing homes in, in, in the city and probably in Latin America, I would say. Wow. So I, I love that. So there are a few things that, you know, that I want to lift up from that story. One is this idea that you could learn something by night and the next day be able to apply it and, and, and see the impact of that and get those rewards. You know, obviously like this feels good. I think that that's an interesting idea because one of the hardest things in a learning environment, in a traditional learning environment where you learn first, then do the thing that you want to do is that, you know, we have to fabricate as teachers. I used to be a math teacher, by the way, I taught middle school and high school math is that we have to fabricate like a reward system, something to make you feel good along the way. And so, you know, we call that grades, right? We call that, you know, the grades you receive and all of that. So, and, and as you probably know from your own experience, not the greatest system on the planet for, in fact, it, it cuts both ways. It can also make right. you feel like garbage depending yeah. on how it's used. So I, yeah. I found a way to use it in a, so that people can focus not on what their grade was, but on their gains. For me, right. the gain is what mattered more than the grade. I'm like, I don't care if you have a C, because if you came from a D, I'm the happiest teacher in the world, <laughs> and I'm super right. proud of you. That said, this is all stuff that we have to create in order to keep someone motivated. And that is super valuable in learning, uh, in the learning sciences. I don't know, because it may, and maybe you'll want to geek out over this one day, but there's a psychologist by the name of Anders Ericsson. He is the one who, have you ever heard of the 10,000 hour rule? Like the yeah. 10,000 hours. So, okay. So yeah. it's actually not a rule. He's the one who did the research. Malcolm Gladwell took it from his research to use mm -hmm. it, cited it in his book, but it was misunderstood. 10,000 was the average number of hours it took musicians to master mm -hmm. a certain instrument. Anyway, 
but the spirit of the idea is there. Well, one of the things that Anders Ericsson talks a lot about is the learning scientist. So that's his big topic and that's what he's known for. And one of the things that he teaches is how important feedback mechanisms are to learning. That if you can't see the impact of what you're learning right away, it becomes really hard to master something. And so it's right. so important that you understand that you have really solid feedback mechanisms. You had the most solid feedback mechanism built into your experience. And I feel like what you're sharing with us is this is this might be a more optimal way of pursuing your learning. And I said earlier in the conversation, learn by doing. No, no, that's not what you were doing. You were learning while right. doing. And that's the distinction. And because of that, you had the best feedback mechanism built into your learning experience so that you can get the absolute most out of it. Any additional thoughts on that? Because I, I, I think that's just like, wow, hearing that experience is pretty amazing. I think that's completely right. And, and yeah, I never realized, but I think it's so much better than, let's say, going four years to university, get a degree, and then start working. Because most of that knowledge is going to dissipate, it's going to disappear. But yeah, actually, by, by applying it immediately, I think it stores much better and and, and, you know, the connection of theory and practice, I think it's key to reinforce the, the knowledge. And as you mentioned as well, it's much more rewarding than just getting graded or, or anything like that. Yeah. And, and to your point, like you said in your story, that one class in project management, I mean, that unlocked something in you. Who knew? Yeah. Like, you, you didn't know at the time that you were one class away from launch, building new buildings and growing the business like massively. And I love what you said about project management, because I, I think this is maybe something for people to consider is that if you need help in terms of execution, if execution is what has held you back in the past, meaning you're full of ideas, but you can never get them all the way to the finish line or even started. It sounds like for you, project management was that class that taught you, hold on, I can get anything to the finish line. There yeah. is a way there, are, there is a structured way to do this. Yeah. And if you know how to do this, I just have to think of whatever I want and then say, put a plan together and then start moving forward. Tell us more about that experience because I'm wondering like how someone could maybe, you know, more intentionally learn this and then use this maybe if they're stuck, meaning lots of ideas and just no execution. Yeah, I think I think the key was learning how to plan, right? No one taught me how to plan before that. And so, you know, following that process, right? Those steps, Again, it's like having an algorithm, like having a sequence that you can apply into, into whatever it is and make it happen. So, you know, the, the, the fundamental steps of project management of, you know, starting the project with a kickoff meeting and brainstorming the outcomes, all the ideas, and then putting that together into a plan, the incredible Gantt chart tool, right, which is this timeline that you basically break down all the project into all the different tasks, all different parts, and then you assign who is in charge of each thing. And, and you have now a visual, basically, cascade of, of how we can go from, from the initial point all the way to the, to the end result, and then jumping into execution, and then monitoring and controlling the things go along uh, as they should, and solving the issues as they appear, which will always appear, until you finally finish everything to the last little task, and then you close the project, right? So that structure itself is what I learned there. You know, I started applying into into everything. And also, many times, a lot of people out of anxiety, they want to execute without planning, right? But it's so important, that methodology of, no, 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 first you plan, you take time to plan, which might take a whole week or two, it's whatever it takes, according to the complexity of the project. And, and after you have the full plan, then you move into the next step, which is execution, right? I think 
that that was really really another pivotal point uh, in my journey of transformation it's learning learning that that skill and then you know how to plan tasks scope how to plan time how to plan budget and then how to manage the people that that we need in order to achieve whatever results that we want really powerful and you know i think this is a great segue to startup weekend and where you and i met because in startup weekend in three days we're attempting to help people execute you know we we always say uh less talk more action you know like that's a big part of the 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 theme of the event because we don't want people just sitting in a room talking all day about their ideas. We want them to yeah. go out there and start talking to people, uh, like talking to you know potential customers and learning more about the problem and the solution. Yeah. So let's talk about Startup Weekend. Tell us a little bit about you know because uh, first like kind of get us there from this journey because you were you know you were in in Argentina you were which is your home country right? Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, you know, you end up in Boston. So tell us a little bit about that transition, how you got there, and then how we came to be in the same room six years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After really systemizing the whole business, the, you know, the nursing home and getting to 100% of occupancy rate with, you know, like three months of waiting list, I was pretty much set up, right? The, the, the molecule was working by itself. So then that allowed me to like a little a mini retirement when I was, I think I was probably around 24 years old. And then I <clears throat> decided to travel around the world. So another passion that I had and I really wanted, you know, to see is explore the planet. So yeah, so I took a, a year off managing the business on, on kind of like while I was traveling, like, you know, like the very, the early days of a digital nomad. So in, in that trip around the world, which was one, one incredible year, basically had a lot of ideas, right? By exploring all these different countries, all these different people, speaking to new people all the time. Uh, my mind was just producing, you know, an, an immense amount of ideas, of business ideas, how I wanted to help the planet and et cetera. So basically I came back to, to Argentina and I tried one idea, but it didn't work. I failed, I lost money. And then I was, I realized, okay, I, I'm missing one more skill here. So the skill that I'm missing is how to start a business, right? Because I knew how to manage a business that already existed like, you know, 15 years ago, but I don't know how to start from zero. Right. So then that sparked a new question, which is where can I learn that? And, and the answer was, what's the best university in the world? So I was Harvard, right? So doing some research, I found out oh, this incredible course of entrepreneurship and innovation and going through the description, that sounded exactly like what, what I needed in order to learn how to actually uh, create a new business from zero to one. So I signed up, I applied, I got in, it was great. And, and that, that's how I ended up in Boston. And when I was in Boston, my pursuit was, okay, how can I take these ideas that I have in my head into reality? I knew the project management methodology, but I was lacking the, you know, the startup uh, entrepreneurial methodology. So in that quest, right, my mission while I was there that semester was to create a framework. I, I was obsessed with having a sequence, having a framework that I could apply to uh, create all these different ideas that I had in my head and written down. And that's how I somehow found out about uh, Startup Weekend. And, and I think the description was uh, something like, uh, take your idea from concept to reality. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I'm here for. That's why I flew, you know, <laughs> half a world away to, to get that knowledge, give me that information. So uh, yeah, that's how I came there. And, and, and I met you and, and it, was, it was an incredible experience. I, I really, really loved 
you know, it, it, it tells us as organizers and facilitators that so the language is right. You know, it, it draws in the right people. You know, it's important to have that. And yeah, you know, taking an idea from concept to reality is the real is the mission of the event. So I'm glad that that spoke to you. But I, I love this distinction that you mentioned in your experience where you realized I know how to manage a business that I've learned how to bring ideas in a business to life. But the business system, the overall system already exists. The foundation is already built. And what you didn't know was, so you knew how to build additional floors on a building, but right. what you didn't know was how to start the building. Like, right. how do I build a foundation to a building? Yeah. And to be aware of that and recognize it and say, okay, now I got to go learn something. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, you found the program, you took action, applied, moved there, went to take the course and then looked for additional opportunities. Okay. How do I, and this, again, I'm hearing a theme here because now you're like, how do I learn while doing? I have the learn part because I'm in a course at Harvard. That's great. How do I add the doing part to it? And Startup Weekend is a doing event because as wow. you learn, it's not an informational event. We don't sit there and lecture you. We don't do any of that. We say, get to work. And that's yeah. what you start doing. Yeah. Tell us about the event itself because this is, you know, you reached out to me a little while ago and you were telling me about how a lot of the things you learned at that weekend have impacted how you move forward now in your own business. And I think that for people listening, this could be really valuable because you now, I, the way I, you know, when I look at what you've been doing for the last six years, I feel like you, it's a muscle you've developed. It, mm. It's a, it's a skill that you can just practice whenever you want. Now it's not something that you're like, Oh, only when I have a good idea. No, you're like, I don't think you're even worried about a good idea anymore. I think you're just like, let me keep practicing this skill and something will develop. So tell yeah. us a little bit about the weekend itself, what you learned and you know, the overall experience. Yeah, so one of the one of the key things that I remember you taught us was to focus on the problem first. Really deep dive on the problem and the pain points. And I remember you you explained something that I've been applying all the time since since that moment, which is find the problem and then validate the problem. And you said, don't worry about the product, don't worry about the solution. Just worry about finding a strong enough problem and then speaking with the target customers who have that problem and then let them tell you what's the solution. That was, that was incredibly valuable for me because instead of going inside out, it was going outside in, right? And that, you know, that was the beginning of my understanding of what being customer centric meant, right? So, um, yeah. And I also loved how you were pushing us to go out on the streets and start talking with people and, and serving people right away. So I love that, you know, that level of action and, and dynamism that the whole weekend experience had. So yeah, so it, it was that thing about validating the problem and then through that feedback, then creating a solution, implementing the feedback into creating a solution and then going out again, validating the solution. And then after that, you know, that foundational piece is there, then build a, a business model on top of that. And then the whole experience of, you know, moving super fast, creating a pitch deck, I think it was in like 24 hours or something with a, with a group of people also learning how to cooperate with others was super important for me in that moment. And then, yeah, then pitching it and, you know, pitching it to a jury. So it was, you know, like quite stressful, which is great. And yeah. And I remember we, we got, I think like the last position or something, but, but I loved it so much that I applied again to the next one and in the next one we actually won. <laughs> nice. So, you know, so it was also, it was also great to just keep trying, you know, and, and, and I love, I think another thing that, that you mentioned that I also really loved was embracing failure as not, not as a negative thing, but as a learning experience. 
and that yeah. was also really permeating in, in in Harvard when I was there as well. It was all mm-hmm. about failing fast, failing better, and and reprogramming and rewiring the mind towards you know identifying failure as a path towards success, right? As yes. as, as success in progress, pretty much, right? Like Einstein said. I love what you shared there. I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack there. The the failure part of it is super important. At the time when you and I met, I think I, well, I guess I was at IBM already, but I had just yeah. come out of the classroom. I was teaching middle school math at the time. And this idea of failure and, and really like making it a key theme in my life came to life while I was teaching because I realized that the more often and constructively I could help my students fail, then... The, the faster they will get to the point where they understand at a deeper level. And it was, and of course, you know, you, you might know from school, you know, thinking back to elementary school, failure is usually not encouraged. It's, right. it's, uh, it's punished usually if you fail. And so it's not a, yeah. And it's unfortunate because as you know, now you're like, I need failure <laughs> without failure. I can't have success. And, and so I had to find a way to bake that into my students to help them appreciate getting answers wrong and get excited about that. I might've even shared this story, but I taught in an all girls school in the final school that I taught. And I remember that I would always tell them to raise your hand and just take a chance at a, like answering a question. And what I would do is when people got the answers wrong, I would high five or fist bump them. And nice. I might've shared the story at the event because I just wanted them to feel good about the attempt. And then if I, I, I would always tell them, if I ask a question and the first person to answer it gets it right, I'm not as excited because that means mm-hmm. I didn't ask a good enough question. It wasn't really? worthy of the room and the capabilities in this room. So that means I need to step up my game. And so I taught them that that's what it meant. If you if you were all doing well too quickly, too easily, that's my bad. I'm sorry about that. I'll level things up. If you're mm-hmm. messing up, if you're starting to struggle, there we go. Like, you know, I'm doing a good job and you're doing a great job by, by continuing to try. No, let me think about it again. I want to try again. I want to try again. And so this idea in Startup Weekend, as you know, is so powerful and it really translates perfectly. The other thing that you mentioned, which I want to apply to reinvention and, and kind of bring some of those lessons that you shared is this idea of, you know, going from the outside in. And really looking for those problems and understanding what is really happening in the world and, and, and then validating and then letting the solution kind of emerge. Reinvention, I really believe, is no different. I think that, you know, when I think back to my own reinvention and others and people that I've interviewed on their journeys, a lot of times, you know, they discovered the problem as they went along. And what ends up happening is you learn more about that problem. Solutions emerge from you being immersed in that problem. And then you bring some of those ideas to life. And I feel like in your story, we heard that because, you know, this moment with your father's health drove you to follow your values and end up helping the business. But once you were in the business, you saw the real problems of the business and you started to bring ideas to life in the business. And that helped you actually bring real solutions that grew the business. But of course, that's not something that you said, I have an idea for my father's business. I'm going to wait for the perfect opportunity to get into the business and then boom, or I'm going to apply or I'm going to convince him that he's got to let me in and bring my idea to life. It was the other way around. You saw the problems first as an administrative assistant. You understood the business from that level. And then you said, hey, I've got some ideas to solve these problems. And I think that's the same with reinvention. Because in the end, if we're reinventing ourselves, chances are we we want to do something that will ultimately impact someone else in whatever way it might. 
It might be to entertain them. I don't, it really doesn't matter. Whatever it is that you want to do, it could be educate them. It could be whatever it is. It doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, it's about not, it's not about the idea. It's about immersing ourselves in these communities and these problems and understanding it. And then knowing that if you're involved, you'll find the solution. And so you'll find your next reinvention step if you're involved. And, you know, going back to learning while doing, that's a big part of it right there. You could figure more out if you were in the situation than if you were first learning and then doing, you know, where the two were separated. And like you said, I think earlier, you're going to lose some of that. Like if you do, you know, your four year education, you're going to not all of it will stay because you didn't practice it. So some will stay. And if you're lucky, you'll still remember some of it. So really powerful idea there, because I think Startup Weekend for me has also empowered me to reinvent myself along the way and do a lot of Mm -hmm. what, you know, what I what I taught, I what I preached, I was practicing, you know, and embracing that failure. Easier said than done. Easier said than done to go to the customer first and the problem first, especially when you get an idea because you're you're so excited about the idea. So even though. Right. Like I was I still struggle with that, by the way. But I remind myself I have to be my own startup weekend facilitator be like, no, hey, stop doing that. Go talk to a customer. Go talk to somebody. So I appreciate you sharing that. So tell us, um, you know, as we come to a wrap here on the conversation, tell us how you translated this into Pangea. Yeah. Fast forward to Pangea. So basically started, you know, out of Harvard and out of that, that experience wanted to create a new e-commerce business, also like connecting all those dots, but something that would also benefit the planet. And, and in, in that trip around the world, I came to Bali and, and Bali was my favorite place in the whole planet. I feel like it had all, the, all, the, all my favorite things of the world combined in one island. So I was like, okay, how can I create something that would allow me to live in Bali while creating something that you know, benefits the planet and while I'm creating something new, because I'm a creative person, right? I started being a musician. So how can I create something? And using e-commerce, right? So e-commerce came like, you know, it was like a perfect solution. I can do it from anywhere. Bali has good internet connection. Just to go fast forward, started doing some stuff on Amazon, testing, learning. And then I realized that there was a gap in the microfiber towels market. So we started selling travel towels for our travelers and... I saw an opportunity to create a towel that instead of being made of plastic, it would be made of bamboo, which is a renewable resource. So it would be better for the environment, but also a big user problem that I identified by speaking with customers uh, and in my own experience as a traveler was that microfiber towels don't absorb. So they are actually a really bad towel, but the good thing is that they are compact. So then I, I, I saw opportunity to create a new category, which was a bamboo travel towel that would clean the planet. It's a towel that is made of bamboo, that is renewable, it's ecological, uh, but it's three times more absorbent than microfiber towels, but it's also super compact and super lightweight. Um, and then adding, you know, like an impact twist to it. Uh, since travelers, you know, usually they love the, the, the planet, that's why they go out and explore it. Then I wanted to add this model in which for every towel they would buy, we would clean trash from the planet. So basically, I came to Bali, I was in a hostel, uh, you know, working on this new idea. And the first thing I did was applying your concepts, was going out to all the other hostels and speaking. I spoke with 50 other backpackers before uh, launching our, our product and, and feeding a lot of their ideas, a lot of the things that they would provide in those, in those interviews into the final product as well and iterating over and over. Wow. And then that Kickstarter campaign ended up becoming a six-figure fundraising, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came to Valley with two thousand dollars in my bank account, working again with my laptop on the hostel, and yeah, went from idea to launch in three months, and then we pre-sold two hundred fifty thousand dollars in the first two months after after launching it. So that was quite quite incredible, and yeah, and and that what I learned as well was okay. Again, systems, right? This system that I have now to how to go from idea to a successful Kickstarter campaign. This is a process that I can keep replicating. So that whole process, taking all the experience, all the lessons from Boston, from Mm -hmm. uh, those courses, Startup Weekend and et cetera, became kind of like that framework that then we were able to replicate four times in a row to keep launching new successful products over and over. And we're going to keep doing it now as well, right? So it's, it's, it's our... It's our key core process. I love it because you said earlier in the story, you were in search of a framework and you've been looking for a framework that you could practice. And that's what drove you to go to Harvard, to go and, you know, get into these immersive, into these learning experiences. And you built one, you built one from your own experience. And then you realized I can replicate this. And well, you know, four super successful six figure Kickstarter campaigns later, you know, Pangea is is well-funded and it's doing what it needs to be doing in the world. It's executing on its mission based on what you've been able to do with the business. Just to, as we wrap up, you know, when I think about the journey to reinvention, it's not just about our work and about our business. It's about our, like just our overall lives. And you mentioned that Bali had along your travels become a place that mattered a lot to you. It had a lot of the most important things in your life, things that mattered to you. And so for you, it became like a favorite place to go and work from and be. You've also built a family there, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not asking you to share too much, but, you know, share a little bit about that. Like, how did that family, young family come to be? Because yeah, I think yeah, that's so, like a beautiful part about the story as well. Yeah, for sure. So I actually met my, my wife here. Mm-hmm. And it's also connected to music as well and, and, and passion and doing the things that I, that I love to. So I, I joined this group in a yoga place here. We were, I was mm-hmm. playing drums. Um, yeah doing something called Kirtan, which is like a, like a singing circle, kind of like singing meditation in a way. And yeah, and I met this, I saw this beautiful blonde woman and, and I just went and spoke with her and we ended up falling in love very, very quickly. And then basically deciding to get married, uh, start a family. Kira came quite fast as well from the moment we met. Six months after we, after we met, Ekaterina was pregnant and, and, you know, we decided to get a home and, and start a family here in Bali. That's, that's awesome. I love it because it's, you know, that's that's something that I, I want to start exploring more as well as part of the journey to reinvention because for me, family, my relationships, they have all been an incredibly important part of the journey. There were times along my journey to reinvention where I didn't focus on work at all because, you know, my relationship needed my attention, such as like when my wife, we were working on getting her papers to come to the U.S. That was mm-hmm. a really stressful moment during pandemic because embassies were shut down, all of this kind of stuff, that transition required my attention. So I put everything to the side and, you know, I think it's an important part. Like it's something we have to pay attention to as well. So I appreciate you sharing a little bit about that and congratulations on, you know, bringing this vision you had for life, this passion, something that means a lot to you. I mean, Pangea is truly a business that is aligned with your values, your passions and your purpose. And of course, you know, rounding out your life and building your family and, and, you know, going all in and, I love that. I, I love hearing that. Congratulations on all of that. And thank you so much for your time, for the insights. I feel like there are so many nuggets of wisdom and insight that we were able to extract from your story 
that someone who's on the journey right now or thinking about getting on the journey could begin practicing. So thank you again for your time. I think this was great. And, you know, maybe maybe in a year, we'll have you back on the show. We'll see how things are going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, next, the next stage of reinvention, for sure. Exactly. Who knows what will be happening by then. So yeah. this is great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.